welcome to another edition of the Blacksmith's Furnace with me, Pete. And yeah, just me today. Um, full disclosure, the rest of the guys couldn't make it today. So whilst you will be stuck with me for the next half an hour, it might not necessarily be in the way you would normally have me. Um, pause. Nah, um, I thought instead of trying to do the show on my own, I would share with you guys an episode from the new YouTube series I've started called The 66. Um, you may remember I've mentioned it on the podcast a few times, and this was like years in the making. But um, yeah, now this won't be an every week occurrence. I'm not changing the feed. I'm not going to be uploading it to um, to this to your subscription every single week. But I thought I'd just take advantage of the perfect storm of having no one else turn up and us finding out that no one else is going to turn up. Um, with too little notice to get anyone else to fill in. So, yeah, um, as you might know, just a little bit about The 66, it is a chronological study. Um, it's a study of the chronological story of the Bible. It's not really, it's not preachy. I'm not trying to preach or anything. It's just my study, really, um, that I sh- I'm sharing with you guys, hoping that maybe you guys take something from it, just as I take something from it. Um so I do hope you enjoy it, uh, and if you do, please do check it out on YouTube. Just search for the sixty six T H E six six one word. That should take you to the Ordinary Amazons YouTube channel, um, where you can find the other episodes, or you could check out the ordinaryamazing dot com, and uh, it will be up there as well. Yeah, uh, I don't think there are any announcements next week. Hopefully, at least one of the other guys will be here. Always talking about how they're always here and I'm not. Well, who's here today? Um, but yeah, now nah, thank you guys for subscribing. Thank you guys for listening. You guys are amazing. Um, and every time we get to interact with you guys, we fully feel um, special and glad that someone's out there listening. And I will stop rambling on. Here is the 66, episode one, before the beginning. Enjoy. Take care, guys, and stay blessed. Peace. Hi, and welcome to The 66. Thank you so much for joining me for another video. Um, Let's get right into it. So my last video, I talked about the principles of study, and I suggested that there would be guiding the way we study going forward. And that's exactly what's happening today. So the principle that today is based on is um, the fact that God plays by his own rules. Now, I did say that to me, that meant that the rules that God gives us, the suggestions he kind of gives us to follow, aren't necessarily rules that he can't follow himself. And more often than not, they're rules that he actually does. So the rule I'm talking about today is, it's not really a rule, it's more of a suggestion. And it was when Jesus was um, telling the disciples to count the cost. I believe it's in Luke, um, it's... Luke chapter 14, so I'm just looking at my notes again. So Luke chapter 14, Christ is telling the disciples to count the cost of discipleship. And he illustrates this with a man that's going to build a house. Um, I think it's build a house. But he, he intimates that the man would count the costs even before the foundation was laid, just to make sure that he doesn't get halfway through, run out of resources and then stop his project. He makes sure that he can 
finish it from the beginning by counting the cost. Now I'm suggesting that maybe before God built the universe uh, and went on that great grand venture, he also counted the cost. And that's what today is going to be about. So today we'll be looking, because it's chronologically, at the very first thing that happened, which I'm suggesting could be God counting the cost. God considering what it would take to create this universe. Um, and since we're here, eventually created it. So this is before the beginning. Now there are some biblical um, factors, I think, that point to this actually happening. But at the very least, that kind of points to there being a consideration, there being um, a, a sort of counting the cost when it came to, or there being a foreknowledge of what it would take, of the cost it would take to create the universe. Now one of those, or one of the things that I think points to this is um, the sheer number of prophecies, the sheer number of predictions about Christ, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection that exist before the man ever came. So to me those suggest that at the very least these are things that were known, not to the people, but these are things that were known to God himself, that he communicated to the people um, in forms of promises, in forms of authentication when the man actually, excuse me, um, in forms of promises and in forms of authentication when the man actually came. One that I feel really stands out is um, in Psalm 22. Now in Psalm 22, the verses were either, <laughs> they were either used as a script when Christ was being um, crucified or they were, they could very well have been written by Christ himself from the cross because they talk about intimate details. The fact that his clothes were, um, were, were, were gambled for, the fact that he would be nailed to a cross. At a time when this wasn't the norm, crucifixion wasn't till the late Roman period. And this was David writing about this whilst he was king. This wasn't the way that um, such things would be dealt with. So that sort of specificity, that sort of um, accurate depiture says to me that, well, someone at least who knew beforehand what was going to happen was communicating these things to David. And that says to me that he knew about it, at least before it occurred. There are also Christ's very own predictions about his, um, his coming death. I think one one verse that really or one passage that really highlights this is Christ's um, prayer in Get Gethsemane in the garden of Gethsemane it's this is this is a man who had stood uh, you know he he'd preached he'd faced Pharisees he'd debated he'd kicked people out of a temple with fury um, and here he was praying so intensely that Luke describes it, I think it's Luke, it might very well be, yeah, Luke 22:44. He describes it as sweating so much, it seemed like the sweat was blood. Now for, for a guy that had the confidence to kick people out of a temple, to be in this moment, only suggests to me that he knew what he was going in for. And 
it's even more so because he went with like his three closest disciples and they were sleeping so that contrast of them being comfortable enough to even sleep and him praying so intensely that he sweat although it was blood kind of suggests to me that he knows something that they don't again suggesting the fact that there was foreknowledge of this thing before it happened i'm just suggesting that it was all the way back to before the universe was even created now the reason i say that or the reason i take it all the way back there it's because of Revelation 13, verse 8. Now, in that verse, he talks about, oh, I say he, um, <laughs> the Bible talks about, um, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here we have this specific idea that before the foundations of the world were put down, the Lamb had already been slain. Now, of course, this, this could be um, a figurative way of saying it. And indeed, there are other versions that rewrite this slightly differently to say that um, the names were written before the foundations of the world um, in the book of the Lamb that was slain. Now, that I'm not trying to twist scripture, so I do want to highlight the fact that there are different interpretations or there are different translations of this. But I think they both lend themselves to this idea that before the foundation of the world, this slaying of the lamb, or this writing of names in the book of life, we will get to it. At least those two things were known before the foundations of the earth were put down. But as I was saying, excuse me, I kind of have a bit of a cold. Um, as I was saying, this is, um, it goes to prove that at least before the beginning, this was known. Before the foundations of the world were put down, this was known. Now, I want to, I'll get back to what this means for us in a second, but I want to have a look at this idea of before the foundations of the world, something being known a little bit more deeply, because I think it gives us some insight into what eternity could actually be. Now, if we take a little detour, I want us to sort of imagine a um, like a, a a marching parade or a marching protest going past, and I want us to imagine it from two points of view. From one, it's someone who is on the ground at a particular point watching this um, watching this parade march past him. He can see only what is within his field of vision in front of him as they go past. So from his point of view, he's seeing everything as it happens. Now let's imagine that further down in the line, there is something special like a big float or there's a big banner or like, let's see, there's a, a red star that's coming along as well. He has no sight of it. And up until as far as he's concerned, that hasn't happened yet. All he knows is what's going on in front of him and everything that's gone past so far. So he has no idea of that thing happening. Now let's look at this same marching band from another uh, marching parade or protest or whatever. Let's say it's a parade, let's use that. From another point of view, let's go in a helicopter and let's have a bird's eye view of the same thing. Now in that helicopter, I can see the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade at the same time. So from this bird's eye view, I can see the entirety of 
what the guy on the ground is seeing and what is yet to come as well. So I can see that red star all the way at the back of the parade before he does. And I have that information long before he does. So I could very well say that I am aware of that from the beginning, whereas the person on the ground isn't. And I think this is a really good illustration of eternity. Because classically, we think of eternity as just having a lot of time, which is fair enough. However, I think when the Bible describes God as, I think it's in Exodus, um, Bixby has taken over my phone, I'm saying Bixby just triggered it again. In Isaiah, not Exodus, in Isaiah 57 verse um, 15, the first part, it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, maybe in a helicopter, that's my part of the Bible, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. So here, Isaiah is almost describing eternity as though it were a place, as though it were somewhere to inhabit. And if we think of God as being in that helicopter, being outside of or inhabiting a higher plane and thus having access to the entirety of that parade then we can think of eternity as not just a, a an amount of time but actually as a place outside of time so we are the individual on the ground we experience life um, or our existence literally in that sort of linear fashion going through whatever today is we don't know what's to come tomorrow. We don't know what's at the end of the parade. We can only remember what's gone past, but all we see is what's present. However, the high and lofty one, as I was suggesting in the helicopter, oh God, he inhabits a space outside of time where he can see the beginning from the end and he can see the entirety of our timeline at the same time. So eternity is this place, not necessarily just with a lot of time, but actually outside of time. And that's where I think God is. Now, from that place of eternity, we can imagine then the Godhead. We can imagine God having this discussion about what the cost of creation is. And from that place, he can see what the timeline would be and weigh out whether this cost that I'm going to pay to create the universe is worth it. Now let's look at what the cost is. And in trying to define the cost, I, I thought it would be interesting to answer two questions. Why create human beings and why not? Now let's start with the why not, just to be difficult. Now to answer the why not, I was looking at passages in the Bible where God has expressed remorse or where God has said, Ugh, I wish I didn't do this um, or I wish this didn't happen. And we give him we give him a ton. We give him so many of those moments. But I think maybe the one with the most consequence is the one that occurs in the time of Noah. Now in Genesis 6-7, the Lord says, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
So that to me was, okay, God's at this point, what led him to it? Now, just the verses beforehand give us that, um, give us the answer. And in Genesis 6, 5, 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Genesis 6.12 also further intimates that God's way had been corrupted and that it was at a time when most of humanity was downright evil. So that gives us one indication as to why not. Because I think if you're looking for a reason not to do something, you can, based off of that, find out or almost guess as to why it did in the first place. So this was humanity at a point where we were so much not what God wanted that he was ready to wipe the slate clean and start over. Kind of does with no one. Now, I found it interesting, um, and this is another um, another consequence of those principles of study, um, which was the perfection of the word in the original languages. So every now and then I'll come to a word that I feel I should just check out what it means in the original language, because I know that in the original language, those words were chosen specifically. Now, the word I looked at was wickedness. And it kind of struck me because the wickedness, um, I'm not even going to butcher the pronunciation, but it reads raw. And the Hebrew word, I'll put the Hebrew word up here, I'm doing this, hoping that it's right in the right place. The, the raw is the same word that was used, um, and we'll come to this later on as well, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that evil is the same raw that we're seeing here. And it's everything you can imagine is bad, it's wickedness, it's evil intent, um, but not just in disobeying God's word, but also towards each other. And that was what had filled the world. And so that's something that we know that God definitely didn't want. All right, now let's, let's look at, so that was a why not. Let's look at the why. So why did God create human beings? All right. In Isaiah 43 verse 7, I think he says it pretty clearly. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now obviously this is probably talking about um, those called by his name. So not necessarily everyone, but those that are called by his name. Those that eventually would become Christians. However, I think it's applicable to all of humanity because at the beginning, the first human beings that were created, or the first instances of creation, they were created for this purpose. They were called by his name, Adam and Eve, we will get to it, but um, they were created for his glory. Now, on the one hand, um, what glory is, is um, according to Briggs, um, the Hebrew lexicon Brown Driver Bricks, it suggests that the glory means honor, dignity, reputation, and that sort of glory, like a good idea, a good opinion of someone. So it could be said that God created us so that a good opinion of him can be seen. 
that makes sense. But there's, there's a little bit more to that word. Um, and I think it's worth looking into because the glory also means or could also be translated as being weight. Now, weight in the sense of it, it comes from a root word that means but uh, heavy, but in this case, weight almost meaning like presence. I say presence because that word is also used um, a number of times to imply a presence. Like in um, in Exodus 40 verse 34, the glory of God filled the tabernacle. And in verse 35, Moses could not enter. Again, the word for enter being he couldn't physically be in the place because the glory had filled it because there was a physical presence that had filled it. Now again, this sort of makes sense to me because the whole idea of creation, or we see, we will see from creation that God really wanted them to be in his presence. And we would see that when God would come down and he'd walk with them, or at least after the fact, we saw that he came down and they were used to his presence um, so much so that they could recognize his footsteps, um, Adam and Eve that is, and knew that God was coming. And it was so that he would walk with them in the evening, the Bible says, as he usually would. And again, we will come to that in more detail. But we see that there was something specific about his presence. So this could also mean that God created us to be in his presence or also in the same vein as it's mentioned in Exodus, to be filled with his presence, to be filled um, with his presence just as much as his glory filled the tabernacle. So I think that sort of encompasses the why. It was to, um, so that a good opinion can be formed of God or seen of God, but I think it's also so that we could be in his presence and be filled with it. So that's the why. That's why God created us. Now the question that we're answering today is, is it worth the why? What was the cost of achieving this why? Of us being in his presence, us being filled with his presence, and, excuse me, a good opinion being formed of God. So now when we look at what the cost is, we can weigh if, if we find out the cost, then we can find out our value. That's the whole point of this, or what I wanted to gain from this was, if I know the cost of my creation, then I can determine my worth in the eyes of the one that pays it. Now we can determine cost by literally what it costs you. So if we look at, if we compare the creation of the universe, as we will see, um, that cost God some breath. He, some breath, maybe some moments of imagination, he spoke <laughs> and, and things came into being. But when we look at the cost of humanity, that was his son, that was death within the Godhead itself, that was suffering, that was a fate so cruel that Christ would pray that that faith no longer is his to the extent of his sweat seeming like blood. 
and that's the worth of humanity that we 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 would result in separation and death and suffering coming to god and yet he still created us he was still ready to pay that price he indeed did so that's today's video god did pay that price even though he knew it was coming because he inhabits eternity and he counted the cost it's like yeah we're good let's get on with the project and genesis 1 1 which will be in the next video but thank you so much for joining me for this one um let me know what your thoughts are um does this sort of make sense this idea of god having counted the cost himself and also the idea of that cost being our worth and if you know that your worth is Christ's son and uh, not Christ's son hey relax not Christ's son if you know your worth is God's son um, maybe you should look at yourself as such um, you guys can find the videos on YouTube you can find the videos well of course you can find it on YouTube you're probably watching it there but please share it with other guys you can find other stuff from myself on the website The Ordinary Amazing uh, please give it a check out um, and engage you can engage on the website you can engage right here on YouTube um, yeah thank you so much and I'll see you guys next time peace